time was passing and people were getting more curious. So who's that lad in, in the black over there with the hat, you know? And uh, a delivery guy came in and uh, he says to the owner, breeder behind the counter, he says, is that Michael Jackson over there? Well, this woman only found out two hours ago that Michael Jackson was coming here. As calm as day, this is what she says. Not at all, she says. That's just a fella from Tullamore that dresses up as Michael Jackson and we don't pass any remarks on him. We let him do whatever he wants to do. And the delivery guy goes, yeah, I was thinking, so what would Michael Jackson be doing here in Tullamore? It would have seemed incredible back then in 2006. But the man seen that day in Jumpin' Jack's play centre in Tullamore was indeed Michael Jackson, the king of pop. Michael spent most of his life trying to evade the press. His greatest success coming in 2006, when he spent six months in Ireland with his young family without anyone realising. But how did the world's biggest selling artist end up in the Midlands of Ireland? It had all started with a phone call to Paddy Dunning, owner of Grouse Lodge Studios. We got a call through an agent who booked out the, the house and, and she said, well, I've got a, a very unique client. So she came down and just had a look at what we offer here in the Midlands and she liked it. Uh, she then said, okay, I'm gonna bring down the client's representative, which turned out to be a lovely woman called Grace Rwanda, who is his personal assistant for, for over 15, 20 years. And uh, we got on very well with her, and we said, you know, we, we would need to know who the client is before we'd agree. Then she said it was Michael Jackson. So that was a bit of a shock to the system. We had a kind of a family meeting, and after a good bit of consideration, we decided, yeah, we'd, he wanted a book for a month. And uh, we said, okay, we'll, we'll meet with him. So he came down on a bus with his family, with the kids and Grace and a nanny. He got off the bus, the kids got off the bus. Immediately the dogs, they love the dogs. The, his kids are playing with my kids. You know, within a couple of hours, it was, it was, it was all happy families. Located on a secluded Georgian estate outside Moat in County Westmeath, Grouse Lodge Recording Studios has played host to everyone from OREM to Snow Patrol since it first opened in 2002. He immediately took to the, the location, loved the climate here, you know. He loved Ireland and uh, within a couple of weeks wanted to start recording. He had settled in, the kids, they fell into the routine that we have. You know, obviously get up in the morning, make breakfast. We all work. This is a working environment. It's an inspirational environment. And uh, he just fell into our routine. Then after the first month, coming up to the last few days, he said, can, you know, can, can I stay? Michael told Paddy he needed a driver. Paddy rang Dublin-born, moat-based taxi driver Ray O'Hara. He told me a day or two beforehand, two days beforehand, and I was like, oh my God, no way. Like, it's like, like Michael Jackson, the most famous. I was present him, there's no one more, more famous. I couldn't take it in. And when it came to the first day, I was as nervous. You wouldn't believe how nervous I was. I mean, I was shaking and I was, 
I met him and hello and where are we off to? We've done our journey and when Michael got out of the car, put his hand out to shake hands and I stood there. It, it was only nanoseconds, but to me it felt like 10 minutes, even though it was only nanoseconds. Michael Jackson standing there with his hand out and I'm looking at him going, oh my God, what do I do? And then I just put my hand out and shook hands with him and then after that then everything just... Literally, he's the same as you and me. You know, Evan just fell into place. He shook his hand, put his hand out and said, Ray, thanks very much for getting us here safely. At the height of his pop career, Michael Jackson had sold 750 million albums. But he arrived in Ireland in 2006 in the aftermath of a damaging 16-week trial for child molestation. Although acquitted, his reputation was in tatters. His last studio album had been released five years earlier. Millions of dollars in debt he was desperate to make music again and resume his career. He had just gotten out of that big court case, you know, after being vilified and after being made into a monster um, with death threats, etc., all over the place. And he found solace, he found comfort, and he found a kind of a, a situation where he was living with an ordinary family. Well, I, I mean, immediately the, the the whole pedophile thing. I mean, you know, does I mean, his estate probably is worth an awful lot of money, and I'm sure he's made some mistakes in his life and all of that. But you know, I don't think he was one of those predator pedophile guys, and and I certainly wouldn't have let him down to my house if I had any inclination that that was the case. I mean, originally that issue came up. You know, it was discussed with Grace and. Uh, she convinced us that that isn't the case and there was an awful lot of speculation and all of that and then he was cleared and then when I met him and talked to him I immediately got the vibe that this guy is has been made into a monster he's vilified etc you know and uh, that's my opinion and I wouldn't certainly wouldn't have let him into my house if I had any idea or inclination that 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 that, that was the case with Michael were his three children Prince Michael Jr., aged nine, Paris, aged eight, and Blanket, aged four. Used to Michael's palatial Neverland Ranch in California, the family moved into a converted cowshed on the grounds of Grouse Lodge Studios. This is where home was. I don't actually know whose bed was in who, but this is where Michael made his porridge in the morning for breakfast for the kids. Every morning... The kids had homeschooling. They started school every morning at nine o'clock. Nine o'clock to one o'clock was school, and after one o'clock, one to two was PE. They done physical exercise, and had the rest of the day off then. And then every Saturday, we would would drive off for a treat, be it Kentucky Fried Chicken or a movie, or we go for a drive somewhere to a kids kids activity centre. That was every Saturday. That was their day their day out on a Saturday. <laughs> Jumping Jacks on just on the outskirts of Tullamore. It's an activity centre for kids and families, birthday parties and stuff like that. One of the Jackson family's days out, in fact they came twice, was to jump in Jack's play centre and bowling alley outside Tullamore. Not that anyone knew at the time, thanks to the silence of owner Breda Carroll. They arrived, uh, just the lady that was with them, Grace and Ray, and they came in and they asked if they could come in and use the play centre. And it wasn't until they were almost walking in the door that we actually realised that it was Michael Jackson that was bringing his children here. So, um, yeah, we were a bit surprised, of course, uh, to think that 
uh, he would come to, to Jumpin' Jacks with his children to play. Delighted to have him though, of course. And um, they played for a good while and when they were having food, that's when other customers arrived in and other children. The night that they came then on the Saturday night, Jumpin' Jacks was closed. So they went and they played in Jumpin' Jacks and had it to themselves. But when they came up bowling, there was customers here. But I think they didn't really realise, some of them, that it was Michael Jackson. They thought it was just someone that looked like him or, you know, they just let him bowl away and nobody, nobody annoyed him or no one looked for photographs or autographs or anything. They, they just left him be. I noticed you have his shoes there behind glass uh, up on the wall there, Michael Jackson's bowling shoes. So, so, I mean, how quickly after he left did you realise that this was like a very significant moment to have the world's biggest superstar bowling in your rally? Straight away, we brought the, the shoes into the office and nobody has ever worn them since. So um, we, we put them into the, the glass case that they're in now and they've been there ever since. One thing that struck us was um, the, the great manners that the three children had and I suppose a memory that will always stick with me was uh, when they were leaving we took them out the back door so that they didn't have anyone um, maybe you know waiting for photographs or anything at the front but they all shook hands and said goodbye to us but the little girl Paris she came up and gave me a hug and she said to me thank you so much for letting us use Jumpin' Jacks you know it, it's just a memory that will always be always be there with me. Within weeks, having Michael Jackson in the back of the taxi became the norm for Ray. And Michael preferred to listen to classical music rather than pop as he was driven. I used to climb to a town, Michael would be in the back seat there. And the only in the country people asked, how's it going, how's it going? And I'd be there at the heavy room, driving down Main Street Monks. And I'd be saying, how's it going? But waving my fingers at them as I passed them on the road. And I said, you said, little did they know, Michael Jackson's in the back of the van. And I'd be saying, I hope someone doesn't call me over. I'm stuck at lights and says hello, and Michael would be in the back, because, you know, that's it, 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 the way it was, like, you know. Did you get a feel for maybe that he was under siege, that he was constantly pursued? I only, what I'd seen in the papers was the only idea, but while he was here, you didn't see any of it, because it was so laid back. It was relaxed, and there was no pressure, but when you look at the papers, it was nearly a different story. But uh, I would can't imagine what you know to, to be that sort of like we'd be driving. Like sometimes I'd say something. He had a fragrance on him, and I didn't know whether it was aftershave or what it was. So I says to Michael one day, "So that, that's a lovely fragrance you have." And he says, uh, "What is it?" And he just says, "Oh, Liz sends me a box every month." Like he didn't say Liz Taylor. He just said Liz sends me a box every month. <laughs> like I knew what he meant, so it was Liz Taylor's fragrance, you know. He'd be in the back of the van and he could be on the phone to Nelson Mandela or he could be on the phone to Bill Clinton and he could be on talk to anybody. Like, so he knew everybody. Like, he no one he didn't know. Like, he knew everybody. We were coming down from Dublin and we were stuck in traffic 
and we're coming near um, Western, you know, West, Western Airport there. Michael asked me what was the hold up in the traffic. I told him the Ryder Cup was on. And uh, young Prince Michael says, Dad, can you get us Tiger Woods' autograph? Now, there was only Michael, myself, and the three kids in the van. And Michael says, Son, it's like this if we ask for Tiger Woods' autograph, he's going to want our autograph. I'm driving at the moment, and the little fella in the back stands up in the van and says, My dad's Michael Jackson, and he's the best dad in the whole world. And that to me, like I even, like it shivers even now thinking of that because you know yourself, and innocent children don't lie, and that's the way the kids were felt about their dad, and every, all the time he spelled with them. She knows I'm watching, she likes the way I stare. If they say why, why, instead of that, it's human nature. Free from the paparazzi, the court case and the intense media scrutiny, Michael began to relax and settle into family life at Grouse Lodge. I think he, he felt that he could trust us and he found solace, he found comfort and he found a, a situation where he was living with an ordinary family, with my family. He was being treated the same way as we treat everybody, you know, with a bit of respect and we have a bit of fun and a bit of banter. You know, my wife would, you know, tell him to eat his greens and, you know, do, do this. But we'd, he started making uh, the breakfasts for all of us, making porridge. Yeah, it was just happy families. And then with that comfort and with that kind of solace that, I mean, we weren't bothering to take pictures. I, I, I never, ever asked him for a picture. And uh, he said, you know, he was there for a month, two months, three months. Nobody knew that he was here. He just couldn't believe that that was the case. And he could walk around. He could go to Dublin. He could go to Galway, check out all the various local spots around Westmeath. How much did Michael Jackson know about Ireland? Um, well, that's what we spent a lot of time talking, conversation. And uh, he'd ask me questions and I'd tell him as best I could. You know, I'd tell him about life and he'd ask me about rural areas um, about Ireland in general, the tourism, tourism was uh, uh, agriculture and multinational companies from America, they'd be our main, and uh, I'd be telling them sort of things, you know, we'd ask you that, these questions and that, you know. He said, the Irish Prime Minister, Bertie, he says, he seems like a nice guy. You know, so obviously he must have seen him on TV. He said he seems like a nice guy. Uh, sometimes he passed a remark on something, you know. Every day he'd, he'd read the Irish papers. You know, he really he was looking at the history of Ireland he was reading books about it about the heritage that's in the local area you know we were talking to him about the hill of Ishnak. he just you know amassed himself in the locality Michael also became curious about what it would be like to sit in an Irish bar P. Egan's in Moat established in 1924 and owned by Paul Lawless fitted the bill So basically what we did was pre-opening, um, place was probably blackened out, shutters left down, Ray would have pulled up with the van discreetly, so we opened the door then straight away and came straight in with Ray. We showed him exactly what we had in, on site, you know. Why did he want to come to a... Uh... That, I don't I suppose, it's everything, it's like, you know, if you come to Ireland, it's, it's, it's probably a folklore of Irish, you know, it's, it's the, the trade and traditional Irish bar is worldwide. And he just wanted to probably, I, 
presume he wanted to see it for first hand, you know. What, what time of the day was this he dropped in? Um, it would have been pre-opening, so about half eleven, quarter twelve, around that time. And what did he have? Did he drink any Guinness? Or uh, no, no, he came, into, he, he, he came through the front bar, into the back bar, and he sat down in the area. So we got him a glass of wine and just sat down and relaxed. He just took it all in, and then Ray w- would have gone through basically all about moat and about the, you know, the surroundings. Did you take any security precautions knowing that the biggest superstar in the world was just about to arrive well, in? We've been lucky over a couple of years. Most of the artists that have been out in Grouse Lodge have all been entertained through here and we've never had to go down that road. So it was on the start of the street and no one would have had any knowledge of it. Now I notice there's no, there's no pictures of Michael Jackson on the wall. You didn't ask Michael Jackson for his autograph? Don't do it. I haven't done it with any of the artists that came in here. My outlook on that is just that they are the same as they, they're human beings. They want to have the freedom of coming in. Ireland is... It's unique in that part of it, that people don't hound and don't, you know, they don't go after the um, artist, you know, they give them their own space. It's unusual, but it does happen, you know. As time went on, the relationship between Ray and Michael started to change. The two men gradually grew closer. So the van was brand spanking new and we had the kids in the van, Michael, we in Mullingar, and young Blanca got travel sick in the van. So, uh, that particular time when the child got sick in the van, Michael says to me, uh, I got out, I pulled in, and then I was, he gave me a lovely compliment, so I started to clean. He says, Michael says, no, I get it. And I says, no, I get it. And as I was cleaning up, what you do? Michael says to me, I can really tell by your way that you really like your job. He had been visiting somebody, and we were coming along the canal there, you know, from Lisa Street out towards Kilmainham. And uh, Michael was in the back, and we'd just be talking in general. There was one, one instance now, it was probably about 11 o'clock at night and there was loads of kids on the streets hanging around. And Michael t- got real sad, he says, terrible parents letting their kids out on the street at this hour of the night. You know, so late. So you know, parents all over the world, you know, good, bad and whatever. And he felt sad seeing kids hanging in the street corners. Anyway, we drove on further and uh, Michael was, you know, I think he always felt comfortable with me, but he said, can I sit in the front with you, Ray? I said, no problem. So I just, like, the van I drive is all blacked out windows. So I stopped at the side of the road. Michael hopped out of the side, hopped in the front. And I'm driving down the road, down and going, bus pulls up beside you. And, you know, <laughs> Michael's exit there. And there you go. So he just pulled the visor down or he'd have a newspaper on his lap in case someone got too close on the road. playing outside. Michael was up on the phone um, out in the in the cow shed and um, there's a little balcony there and uh, he he was standing out and he just he was just uh, he said did you hear that sound you know and I, I said mm, no I didn't I was the dogs were barking and all that and then the next minute again we heard this sound you know and I was going wow what the hell is that sound and um, he uh, you know the dogs were going mad, the kids were going, wow, what is this? And we didn't know even where it was coming from. And I thought it was a tree had fallen, one of the big, big oak trees had fallen and there was this crashing sound. And and then it happened again. It stops and then, and, and Michael's going, hey, you know, that sounds like a dragon, Patty. And I'm going, you know, it, it does, but you know, there are no dragons. And, uh, but it, you know, it did, it sounded like a dragon throwing out fire. And, and um, and the next minute we all look up and then there's this big noise again. 
And again, this maze of color, you know, of this balloon, who was just about 100 feet above us. Passing overhead was the Irish Hot Air Balloon Championships. People waving out, you know, they were just going by. We were all waving up. Little did they know Michael Jackson and his family and, were, you know, we were all waving back. And then another balloon, and then another balloon, and another balloon, and Michael's going, woo! And it's, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a colourful time. It was a beautiful colour, colour event. You know, these massive balloons with all their, all different um, shapes and sizes and and the, and the rainbow colours. And um, you know, it was just another thing that happened on on on, on many of the days um, uh, that was that we can remember. You know. Yeah. The Michael Mine. There's not much you can do about it. <laughs> uh, you, you get accustomed to it. We're on a gravel road, but as soon as you get onto the main road, it's right. it's it's tired and it's lots smoother. We're just coming out onto the main road here now. So when you were coming out here with, with Michael Jackson in the car, would you be looking to see if you were being followed? Would you be looking for? Very much so. Uh, like a couple of cars were often parked there, and I'd have to ask them to move along. And they'd say, some of them would be smart enough to say that, uh, well, there's no law against parking here. And I'm, I'm not a member of the law, so I can't move them on, but at the same time, you'd have some respect, I'd tell them I'm getting the law. And uh, the gates were always closed here, you know, the electric codes, I would say. But uh, we did then, Paddy did hire uh, security uh, in here. They used, to, they used to hide in here under that tree. After a month of living in a converted cowshed at Grouse Lodge, Michael and his family moved across the road to Coolator House, a seven-bedroom Victorian country retreat built in 15 acres. Here the King of Pop would remain for months, his whereabouts unknown to the outside world. So when Michael was here, the, the blinds used to be down, you know, to stop any peering, uh, you know. chicken or something. <laughs> you might have come to the door with the head sticking out. <laughs> like we're after walking into the main hall here now. And Love and thanks. Michael Jackson and family read the signed sheet framed on the wall. It's actually a page Michael signed in the visitor's book of Coolator House, but now kept behind glass on the wall for safekeeping. Michael Jackson fans from around the world come to stay at Coolator now and they get emotional crossing its threshold at the thought of how happy Michael must have been while staying here. A suit of armour stands in the grand living room, next to a piano which Michael played for visitors who came over to see him from the US. There's an amazing view out over uh, Westmeath and, and over, the, over the lands of Coolator House. So th this, is, this is the vision Michael got every morning, getting out of bed. Yes, indeed. Sunshine shining in the window. Big, beautiful, four-poster bed, en suite. So Michael Jackson had a bath in that bath? I'm pretty sure he did. I was never here to witness it, thankfully, because that's privacy that you don't want to be exploring.
Paddy, who owns Grouse Lodge Studios, also runs Dublin's Wax Museum, whose waxwork dummies he often retires to the gardens of the house. Among them, not one, but two waxworks of Elvis Presley. I just drove up just to see how he was, and um, he came out of the woods and went, I said, you okay? He says, Paddy, no, I'm not, I'm not. I said, why? He says, well, I just saw my father-in-law, you know. I was going, who? And then, then I copped on, it was Elvis. I'd thrown Elvis into the forest, you know, because he'd hit an arm taken off from the wax museum. And what even hit him again, I'd put two of them up there. So in another part of the, the garden, he'd come across what he actually thought was another kind of a ghost, you know, because I didn't tell him there was two. Uh, so that was funny, you know. Um, and it's, I mean, it's weird, you know. The, the king of rock and roll was 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 his father-in-law for for a while. There were days when Ray was unavailable, and it fell to Paddy to drive Michael around. I remember going through Crumlin. Ray wasn't able to drive that day, and I had to drive. And uh, we were in Mullingar, trying to we couldn't get the petrol cap off. I mean, it was stuck. I tried everything. It was 10, 15 minutes, and he was trying to pull the cap off. And, between the two of us, we were felt like idiots trying to couldn't get diesel, so we had to li- literally abandon that and drive. I'm, I'm worried about whether we could get to Dublin, and we just literally rolled into Dublin, going through Crumlin. We stopped at a traffic lights, and I was telling them I'm from Crumlin, you know. This woman would pull up, and she'd look in, and she, he'd roll down the window, and you know, go hey hey hey, and she'd go. Is that who I'm looking at? And then, of course, they, they think it was just an impersonator. And then we drive off. Months had passed, and the Midlands had sparked something in Michael Jackson. His muse had returned. And then he started, you know, wanting to get back into the recording studio, writing songs. Um, I mean, several times we played music in the recording studio, just messing, just jamming with him on the drums. And you were like, what songs would you jam? Like, just his hits? Some of them ran into his hits. Some of them I could be messing with just on a jam and, and, and rolling it over all the time. And then it would slowly but surely move into, you know, do, 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 you know, with, with, with uh, Billie Jean and all of that, you know. So, and that was just funny. We, we'd go up to Dublin and I met my brother-in-law in my father-in-law's house up in Dublin. And we were playing piano for two hours, singing all the Beatles songs, you know, which was great. And it was great for Grace, his PA, the nanny of the kids, to kind of go, God, you know, he's he's actually relaxing, singing, not entertaining, but just singing for the sheer enjoyment of singing the Beatles songs, of, of which, you know, he knows a lot of, he owns a lot of them. One of the reasons word of Michael's stay in the Midlands didn't get out was down to a conspiracy of silence from the owners of the places he visited. Grace had mentioned that Michael had wanted to buy something for the children and uh, Paddy's wife, Claire, recommended the Bastion Gallery in Athlone and Claire made the phone call to the people in the Bastion Gallery could they open some evening uh, after hours so Michael and the children could have a look around the shop. Katie McKay of the Bastion Gallery in Athlone was another who welcomed Michael in late 2006, but who told no one. He came in the door and I just said, you're very welcome, Michael. It's great to have you here. And he was really fascinated with um, these ohm writing. 
it's like ancient Irish writing, but he was fascinated with anything to do with like Irish mythology or Irish spirituality. It was just a bit of a buzz because as a child, I was really into Michael Jackson. And when I was about 10, I wrote him a letter. <laughs> and I just thought, hey. <laughs> saying what? Um, I can't remember saying, just telling him, you know, that I was a fan or whatever. When you heard Michael Jackson was coming yeah. to the gallery, did you remember that letter? I did, actually. And, and, and I'm sorry that I didn't actually mention it to him. But uh, I did think about it afterwards that I probably should have mentioned it. That, hey, Michael. <laughs> Do you remember that letter I sent you <laughs> 30 years ago? <laughs> oh, did you get a reply back from him at the time? No, 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 I didn't. Incredibly, Ray only charged Michael the same daily rate he would any other local customer, invoicing Michael's US management company at the end of each month. One of the days he says to me, um, Ray, is there any Rolls-Royce dealerships here in Ireland? And I says, I don't know, Michael, um, I can find out for you. Says, do you like Rolls-Royces? I do, Ray. He says, I have 14 at home. So that gives you a context of everything he wanted was at his beck and call, his private plane was parked up on Dublin Airport, G5, five-seater plane was parked there, his beck and call, whenever he wanted to go, you know. Michael was, was travelling the country looking for property. He was actually seriously going to buy a house oh, in Ireland. Michael, Michael loved it here. Actually, to the extent that um, he had asked me, he says, Ray, like, well, he knew, obviously, like, say, on a Sunday, they'd pack up the hamper. We'd look at look property, but we'd look at, say, one property on 100 acres, the walls. Uh, community and all preservation order on us 23 bedrooms and the real estate guy was there maybe um, there was a friend of his from Dublin came down to an Irishman came down to meet him to view the property but Michael would have packed a hamper and a few bottle, bottles of wine to because it would take hours to view a property like that because it's so big and uh, Michael loved it but I think the, the preservation order on it he couldn't make any alterations to it and uh, 25 million was the price tag and when we were leaving, Michael says, it's a bit small. <laughs> but he was coming here to live in Ireland. He really was. He loved it here. And he had asked me, he says, Ray, when we do get a property here, I says, I would like you to be my full-time driver. And the enormity of it, I, like, I was honoured and chuffed, but taken it in and um, there was no shadow of a doubt he was coming to live here in Ireland. <laughs> It was a trip to Dublin to see Paddy's father-in-law, well-known property developer Harry Crosby, which led to the secret getting out. We drove up uh, Michael and the kids, and I think Harry had Harry Crosby had his grandkids there, so they had a nice meal cooked there. And I basically sat outside, and I was just reading the paper, waiting, and uh, as Grant came to leave, and I, I noticed two people in the distance sitting in a car, and I, you know, passing remarks and. When I got the phone call, we're ready to go, van is parked up to the door, but everyone was taking ages to say goodbye. And these two people started to walk, and I was going, oh no. And it's not as if you could say to Michael, you know, hurry up, Michael, you know, I'm only paid to do a job. 
So the two people start to come, um, then I see the camera, the lens spin behind the back here, and I says, here we go, they've, they've copped us, Michael. And um, Michael had a friend called uh, Nephew from the States. Uh, he, I think he's a rap artist. And uh, so Michael got into the car, and Nephew was briefly thought he was an A. He says, I go off, I'll hand this, I'll pretend, I'll pretend I have a, something under my coat here. You know, to scare them away, but he's from Los Angeles, that doesn't really carry any weight here. But I got them in the van and I drove off. So I took off like a bullet and I took every back road you could think of from Dublin down to here. I made sure we went and followed. But two days later, I was in the paper. Uh, Michael hops into Dublin taxi, you know. You have to laugh at because you were there, like, you know. We knew word was out. So I think drive time on RT radio was uh, parked outside the, 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 the garden. And so what happened was, uh, is Michael here? Like, you know, because the world media was gathering and says, is Michael here? So Paddy Dunning you know, says, come in, come in. And we moved Michael across the road to Coolator House. And Paddy brought drive time in and showed him around the studio and says, Michael was here, but he's gone. He's gone. And he uh, says, you're welcome to have a look around. And uh, so the media asked questions about Michael, this, that and the other. And Paddy said, look, he had a great time here, but uh, he's moved on. He doesn't know where he's gone to. And the truth be known, he was across the road all the time in Coolator House. That bought us another month of time. But fans were starting, were starting to arrive, parcels and cards, because... You wouldn't believe the amount of well-wishing cards that came in from fans when they heard he was here. And there was fans from France and making their own expense on my part outside here, uh, trying to come and get in contact with Michael. Letters for them, telling them how much they love him and his music. And it's like a shower of, uh, as soon as word got out that he was here. When friends found out that Ray had been driving Michael Jackson around for the past five and a half months, they didn't believe it. Some still don't. Those that did rang Ray's mobile non-stop, asking if he could bring Michael into their pub or restaurant, something he was unwilling to do. But that wasn't Ray's only problem. The news that Michael Jackson was in moat sparked worldwide interest. Soon the maze of back roads around Grouse Lodge was filled with the world's media on the trail of Michael Jackson. It was touching then how locals in Westmeath, who had known Michael had been staying in Grouse Lodge for months, tried to protect the singer and his young family, often giving false directions to the arriving newsman trying to find Grouse Lodge. But it was the death of soul legend James Brown in December 2006 which led to Michael leaving Ireland. He was his mentor, obviously very close, and he went to that funeral. And um, that was the last time we saw him. He said, I'll be back. I've had such a great time. I'm going to go to America take care of some business and, and I'll be back and thanks for taking care of us and we had such a great time. You know, he gave us a big hug and it was a very sad time but it was great because he said, I'll be back, you know, we'll be back. We've had such a great time. He loved Ireland, you know, and he loved the people. It was a blow too to Ray who had spent months driving Michael and his family around in his taxi. He actually left here. I was actually sad when he left. I, you know, I was actually really sad because like, it was six months, well, five and a half months of my life and I had to basically forgo my own normal work. I got friends of mine, other taxi drivers, to, uh, to do that work for me. Like, you become part of somebody, you, you're looking out for them, you're with them. That's like a habit in one way. And yes, really nice people, lovely kids. I, th- I thought I was really happy. Like, I, 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 can, I, I, I just thought I was sad to walk home. First, I, I, just, I just felt it. And I, probably the time of the year as well, Christmas Eve, you know. Uh, felt sad that they, they, they were flying to Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, I did feel sad when he left. Another day is gone. I'm still.
pop star Michael Jackson has died in Los Angeles at the age of 50. Paramedics were called to his Bel Air home at around midday local time where they found the singer collapsed and not breathing. He was rushed to the UCLA Medical Center. A cousin of mine's husband rang me and I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't. I still, you know, I just couldn't. I couldn't believe it. I just found it hard. The man, like he's young. I know it's unfortunate the way things happen, but um, we shouldn't have went, you know, but anyway, like you, people say we had to stay here now and they'd be still here. We still with us, you know. How do you look back now on the fact that you were Michael Jackson's driver for nearly six months in Ireland? Uh, pride. Uh, disbelief that I'd done that. Uh, I'm privileged uh, to have met such a lovely human being, so contrary to what the public perception and you know, there's many different avenues in the media. And to meet a lovely, warm family man that was so giving and caring, that to see the real man, that I thought I feel privileged and honoured. There's a question What might have happened if Michael Jackson hadn't have passed away in June 2009, aged just 50? What if he'd returned to Ireland as he said he would to live in Westmeath and work at Grouse Lodge? I think he would have collaborated with up-and-coming musicians from all around the world, right? I think he would have definitely had a bearing on and had an interest in Irish music, in our rhythms. You know, I would have loved him to meet Irish producers um, like Donna Lunny. I found he would have gone down the pr- production road and, and stayed away possibly from performance later on in his life. I think that's what he was thinking about. We talked about it a bit. I think he would have started helping others on their career and, and, and guiding them. He was able to see things clearly from afar, rather than being, you know, kind of muddled and confused from, from within. So, in a way, he saw the world as it was, the good, the bad. You know, he was able to see all the problems that's happening with the planet. You know, with the wars, with with nature, that that bared down on, on a lot of his lyrics and you know on the songs that he was writing and the songs that he was probably going to write. You know, possibly felt a bit frustrated about not being able to change as much as he'd like to change. But I mean, we all want to change things, like like in the song, it's the man in the mirror, and he, and you start from there, and then it it ripples out, and that's 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 what we can all do. They're on the rank, picking up people in Dublin and they've no idea what you did or maybe tell them they don't believe it. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, whatever, you know. So I just tell them, uh, just Google Michael Jackson and Mayor O'Hara. <laughs> there you go.